Blog Talk Radio. This is Miss Cantrell for Truth Be Told Radio. I am doing a cold open this time on purpose. I want to talk about, uh, as of this recording, uh, January 26th today, uh, the basketball, former basketball player Kobe Bryant and his daughter and six other people died. Wait, it's, wait, no, seven other people. It is nine people total. And they died in a, in a, in a plane, I mean, not in a, not a plane, in a helicopter crash. And when it's say that it's sad, but also it's, he, he is my most favorite uh, basketball player, too. And he he died only at 41 years old, and they said his daughter was in there, and she's she was 13. And I want to say that 150,000 people die every day. Most of them won't get any recognition, or they won't get anything on the news. Talked about them, but it's sad, and God know why. Still have time to if you haven't. Uh, turn to Jesus for salvation, repent and repent of faith that you do that today. It's an important thing to do and to tell others about Jesus too so they can know and go to heaven. And otherwise, uh, uh, people will go to hell. So he tells us to preach the gospel. So please do that. And the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for salvation of souls so that the ones that will be his will turn from their sins and put their trust in him alone for salvation and have faith in him, trust him. And he died and he rose on the third day and he's coming back one day. So either face him when we die or face him when he comes back and the being salvation and not in anger that God has against sin people who sin and he because he put his uh, life on the line to pay for that sin on the cross that's what he was doing when he was on there on the cross he was taking a payment for sin because he lived a righteous life and he did not sin himself so that we could um, be shown as a, as an example he's an example of, of to God what, um, what our life should be and what our life isn't you can be exchanged for for his life and his uh, obedience to the to the to God and if you wanna do that please do that today. Um the website is check this out. More info about this is needgod dot com and E E D dot needgod dot com and E E G O D dot C O Sorry, not used to make this not that good speaker, <laughs> but I hope that you will listen to my words today. They're important, and check out that website, needgod.com. 
And a song that I was going to play that I think is appropriate is Shiden with One Day. Because it says, like, one day you're hot, one day you're not. Oh, one day you're alive, and one day you're not anymore. And so take that with stride. Yeah, man, it's crazy how time flies. My mind tries to sit still, thinking how does one define wise? Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer, fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder. But as the beat plays, they lose wonder. After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer. Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet. Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet. But it's part of common sense that the artist time will end. To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend. They don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded To abandoned in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reaching gas But he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return, what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared at the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuffed with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like petrol. The new praise that made the waves in the metro. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retro. And phase like echoes. Echoes, echoes, echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few Even no experience to tell you that it's true On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist Wisdom, the sound of the stages, resounding for ages The older I get, I notice it The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages A holy writ, not the cash speech of the reverend But what a man sees under heaven Ecclesiastes 111 
nothing, no matter who you are, death aims to stop ya, whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra, before your time is done, meet the timeless one, the dying, death defying, rising, shining sun, King Jesus, astounds and amazes, he pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages, so let us praise, the one who made the Everglades, our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade, never fade, never fade, never fade. Once again, shine in with one day and just show us how life goes by. Like, there are the highs and the lows. Before I said take a stride, I should say take these words and importance that you need to, if you haven't done, you need to turn for your sins, put your trust in Jesus alone for salvation. And here is a recording. This is from W. Water. says, Kobe Bryant did, did he know the Lord? Here on Trippy Tori. According to TMZ, Kobe Bryant and at least three other people were in his private helicopter. is able to tell you now that NBA star Kobe Bryant was on board that helicopter and is now dead at the age of 41. How tragic it was to hear that Kobe Bryant had suddenly been killed. Please remember to pray for his precious family. Sporting heroes are almost immortal. They are winners in life and can overcome almost any obstacle. But this reminds us of the psalmist's words. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And it's wisdom to remember that death can come to any of us at any time. None of us are guaranteed of tomorrow. Was Kobe a Christian? Well, in reference to his much-publicized accusations of rape, he said... The one thing that really helped me during that process, I'm Catholic, I grew up Catholic, my kids are Catholic, was talking to a priest. It was actually kind of funny. He looks at me and says, did you do it? And I say, of course not. Then he asks, do you have a good lawyer? And I'm like, uh, yeah, he's phenomenal. So then he just said, let it go, move on. God's not going to give you anything you can't handle, and it's in his hands now. This is something you can't control, so let it go. And that was the turning point. Brian told GQ magazine. Many have no hope in their death because they believe that it's inevitable, that we can't do anything about it. If you believe that, watch this. You think it's inevitable? Definitely. It's like a truck hitting for you, standing on the road. It's inevitable you just stand there and say, I'm going to enjoy myself until they get hit. I mean, basically. You wouldn't do that. You are not about it at all. Because you've got a brain. You would say, I'm getting out of the road of this truck. Do you think there's an afterlife? I don't have any idea. Now, do you think about it much? I do. Are you afraid of death? I, a little bit. A little bit? We're all terrified of it. Yeah. It's like jumping out of a plane at midnight with no parachute. Right. Are you afraid of dying? Absolutely. So what, what are you going to do about it? I mean, just live every day as best as you can. So you think it's inevitable? Definitely. It's like a truck hitting for you, standing on the road. It's inevitable you just stand there and say, I'm going to enjoy myself until I get hit. I mean, basically. You wouldn't do that. You're not You'd, thinking about <laughs> it at all. Because you you, you've got a brain. You would say, I'm getting out of the road of this truck. Would you just stand there if a truck was going to kill you? No. 
I wouldn't see. So you'd move out of the road? I would. So what are you doing to move out of the way of death? Have you studied it? Have you ever prayed? Have you looked to God? Have you read the Bible? Have you asked people questions? I've looked to uh, spirituality. I have read the Bible. I have... Um, Does that help? Looked to God. I... No, it didn't at the at the time, but I actually, this is a very enlightening. So what about you? What about you? Are you trying to get out of the road of the truck? We're just waiting for death to take you, but you're going to have a good time while you're doing it. Out of the road. Yeah, so what are you doing? Are you, are you, are you looking into what you can do? Is there something you can... Looked into death. You know there was something you can do about death? I... No. There is. So yeah, it's inevitable, but there's something you can do about it. Look, let me give you an analogy just to show the power of faith, Okay. If you're going to jump out of a plane without a parachute 10,000 feet, would that be scary? Absolutely. It would be scary. That would be scary for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if I gave you a parachute and you put it on and had faith in the parachute that your mother packed so you know it's going to open, would that change anything? It definitely would. I would still be scared. <laughs> yeah, but the amount of fear would be controllable. You can say, I trust this parachute. Yeah, you, you, say, you, say, you say, I'm going to jump now. I'm not going to hit the ground at 120 miles an hour on my face. I'm going to land on my feet at five miles an hour. So the parachute changes everything, yeah. and your faith in the parachute helps you deal with your fears. So faith is incredibly powerful. Oh, yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people discount faith, and they say, oh, yeah, faith in God is just for weak people. Yeah, put a parachute for weak people, too. Now, do you believe in God's existence? I believe in a higher power. For sure. Is the higher power happy with you or angry at you? I think that they're cheering me right on, to be honest. You do? Yeah. And what about you? For me, I definitely think that there is some higher form out there. Is this higher power angry at you or happy with you? I think I think they'd be happy. They'd happy. Okay, well, I'm going to... How I'm going to try and do you ladies a favor. It's not going to seem like it, but be patient with me. I'm going to show you you're in mortal danger. That is, you're in danger of something terrible happening to you, but you don't realize it. Okay, and if I am able to convince you, I'm doing you a great favor. Does that make sense? Because you can do something about it. Okay. Are you going to be patient with me? Patient. Do you think you're a good person? Yes. You do? I do. How many lies have you told in your life? Well, I've told a few lies. So what do you call someone who tells lies? Somebody who's made a mistake. Have you lied? I have, yes. So what do you call someone who tells lies? Same. Uh, definitely somebody who is making a mistake. And I'm going to give you a clue. It rhymes with fire and begins with L. A liar. So what are you? A liar. And you? A liar. It's hard to say about yourself. Now, have you ever stolen something, even if it's small, in your whole life? I have not. You know, you know what we tend to do? We tend to minimize or trivialize sin. We say, oh, I just stole little things. So I told white lies, nothing serious. But sin is deadly serious to God. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes. Yes. Would you use your mother's name as a cuss word? No. Why not? It's a good point. <laughs> I just wouldn't. I love my mother. Would you use your mother's name as a cuss word? I wouldn't. Why not? Yeah, because I love her. Yeah, and that would dishonor her horribly yeah. to use her name as a cuss word. And you have taken the name of God, the holy name of God, the one who gave you life, and used it as a cuss word in the place of a four-letter filter word to express disgust, which is called blasphemy, punishable by death in the Old Testament. Ladies, you are being patient with me, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> one to go, and this is a doozy. Tell me your doozy. Jesus said, if you look with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. Have you ever looked with lust? Yes. Have you ever what? Looked, looked with lust. Oh, yes. Have you had sex before marriage? Yes. 
Yes. So, ladies, I'm not judging you, but you both told me that you're lying, blasphemous, fornicating, adulterous at heart, and you probably have stolen because you told me you're liars and I can't really trust what you're saying. <laughs> so here's the, big, here's the big if. If God judges you by the Ten Commandments on Judgment Day, we've looked at four, you're going to be innocent or guilty. I'll definitely be guilty. I'll be guilty of... Heaven or hell? Um, I think, uh, I don't think it's as black and white as that, to be honest. Because I think we have a lot of, um, there's forgiveness, right? God is about forgiveness. Yes and no. Okay. So we're allowed to make mistakes in our life, right? And we're allowed to also make amends for our mistakes. How can you make amends for lust and fornication? How can you, how can you balance up the scales? Hey, can I uh, ask you a question? Have you done Yes, that? I've broken more commandments than you ladies have because <laughs> I'm older. But that's why so I'm a Christian. How about it? I'm a Christian. I'll tell you now. If you die in your sins, you've got God's promise, you'll end up in hell. The Bible says all liars will their part in the lake of fire. No thief, no blasphemer, no adulterer will inherit God's kingdom. So both of you are in mortal danger, you're in terrible danger. If you die in your sins, God gives you justice and exposes all your secret sins. You're in big trouble. You're up the river Niagara without a paddle, which brings us to the gospel. What did God do for guilty sinners so we wouldn't have to go to hell? Do you know? He died on the cross. Do you know that? Now, most people know that, but they don't know this. The Ten Commandments are called the moral law. You and I broke the law. Jesus paid the fine. That's what happened on the cross. That's why he said it is finished. In other words, the debt has been paid. If you're in court and someone pays you a fine, a judge can let you go even though you're guilty. You can say, ladies, there's a stack of speeding fines here. This is deadly serious, but someone's paid them. You're free to go. And he can do that which is legal and right and just. Even though you're guilty, he can let you walk. And even though we're guilty... God can let us walk. He can take the death sentence off us and let us live because Jesus paid the fine so we can walk out of the courtroom on the day of judgment. And that means that God can legally do so. Justice can be done and mercy extended all because of that death and resurrection. What you have to do to find everlasting life to get out of the road of that truck is repent and trust in him. See, at the moment, both of you are like someone who's on the edge of a plane 10,000 feet up. They're going to jump, and this is the plan going to flap their arms, try and save themselves. It's not going to work. I'd save that person. No, trust the parachute. So, ladies, don't trust your goodness to save you. It's not going to happen on Judgment Day because you're not good. You're like the rest of us. Transfer your trust from yourself to the Savior. And the minute you do that, you've got God's promise, and he can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie because he's without sin. You've got God's promise. He'll grant you the gift of everlasting life, and he'll give you a personal miracle. Do you know what he'll do as a personal miracle? Send you to heaven. No. He will transform you on the inside so you love righteousness. So you love that which is right and just and good. And for a sin-loving sinner, that's a miracle. You go, man, I'm a new person on the inside. All things I want to do in life is please the God that gave me life. And you'll shake your head and say, I'm a brand new person. It's called being born again where God gives you that new heart with new desires. So, ladies, is this making sense to you? Absolutely, yes. Is it making sense to you? 100%. So what are you going to do about it? We're going to... We're going to look further into God. Okay. Yeah, think about it, but don't think about it for too long because you could die tonight. I could. Walking around you, I could just, like, drop right there. 150,000 people die every 24 hours. 150,000. So you're going to think seriously about it with that sort of attitude and mind, sense of urgency? Yeah, absolutely. Is the Bible at home? I do. Okay, and you have a Bible at home? It's just been an honor to talk to you. I'm going to give you some literature, if that's okay. Do you ever get suicidal thoughts? 
feel like we all kind of... I've got a little booklet for you. Can um, I give you a little booklet? Sure. It's called You're Not Alone, and it's, it's just got some principles to help you battle those suicidal thoughts. Because mm-hmm. they can come back. If you lose your dog or your mum and dad or even grandma and grandpa, it can send you into depression, and it's really hard to shake it. So I'm going to leave this little booklet. Great to talk to you, ladies. Thank you. This is the Evidence Bible, everything you'd ever want to know about evangelism. It's over 1,800 pages, filled to overflowing with apologetical arguments, everything you'd ever want to know about reaching the lost. It's available at livingwaters.com, amazon.com, or at your Christian bookstore. That's the prohibition. 
But later on in what is often called the second law, the book of Deuteronomy, we read this in chapter 6 and verses 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words I am commanding you today, they shall be on your heart. Now there's the positive side. The negative, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The positive, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. To love the Lord that way would preclude you taking his name in vain. This is foundational in our relationship to God. We are to have no other God but the true God. That's the part of the Ten Commandments in which we are first introduced to God's law. We are not to make any graven image or any representation of him. And we are not to take his name in vain. But just exactly what does that mean? We need to know what it means because, to be honest with you, we've all done it. What does it say when God promises to bring punishment for those who take his name in vain? Pretty serious, so we need to look at it. His name, Yahweh, appears 7,000 times in the Old Testament. We have it on our lips a lot. We use the name of God frequently. But are we in danger of taking that name in vain? Here are some ways that that is done. First, anyone who curses God or blasphemes his name has obviously violated that command. Listen to Leviticus 24, 15, and 16. If anyone curses his God, then he shall bear his sin. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death, stone him, the alien as well as the native. When he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So, one obvious way you take the name of the Lord in vain is by blaspheming that name. Now, what does that mean? Since God is, as uh, we heard this morning in that beautiful anthem played for us, holy, 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 anything that assaults the holiness of God, anything spoken about God that in any sense assumes that he is Evil is to curse God or blaspheme God. To think of God as evil would be to think of God as unfaithful, unloving, unwise, lacking compassion, lacking mercy, lacking power. Anything said against the glory of God, any accusation that God is in some ways flawed. And did you remember in the Garden of Eden, it was Satan who convinced Eve that God was evil. He doesn't want you to eat because he doesn't want you to be like him. He's jealous in a sinful way. That was blaspheming God. 
to accuse God of any form of evil or anything less than the absolute holy nature which he possesses is to take his name in vain. Secondly, this is pretty common. We take the name of the Lord in vain when we falsely swear by his name. And that is to say, when you are telling a lie, but you want people to think you're telling the truth, so you bring the name of God to validate it. I swear to God. That's using his name in vain. That's bringing his holy name in to somehow convince people that your lie is true. That's using the holy name of God for our evil purposes. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of the Lord, I am the Lord. There's a third way that God's name is taken in vain. I'm just giving you some samples. There are many more. You take the Lord's name in vain when you say you speak for him and you do not. When you say you have heard from the Lord and you speak for the Lord and that is not true. You literally are using the holy name of God to validate your deception. If you look with me at Jeremiah 23, it's a little more extended passage, so... I want to read it to you. Jeremiah chapter 23. There were prophets in Israel who were constantly claiming to speak for God. And they lied. They, in verse 14 of Jeremiah 23, are identified as prophets of Jerusalem who have done a horrible thing. Committing of adultery, walking in falsehood, strengthening the hands of evildoers. They were wicked prophets. But come down to verse 15. Listen to what the Lord says. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets. Behold, I am going to feed them wormwood and make them drink poisonous water. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, pollution has gone forth into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. For example, they keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say calamity will not come on you. But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath, even a whirling tempest. It will swirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out the purposes of his heart, in the last days you will clearly understand it. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. If they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words 
to my people, and will have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Lying prophets who claim to speak for God take his name in vain. That is ubiquitous, isn't it? That is everywhere today. People saying, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that, the Lord spoke to me to tell you this. If you're ever in a meeting where somebody stands up and says, the Lord told me this, and now I'm telling you, go out the back door as fast as you can, you're in the presence of a liar. But this is so common. Whenever you stand up in a pulpit and you say, I, I'm going to speak to you the word of the Lord, it better be the word of the Lord. Stop being so many teachers, James said, because there's the greater condemnation. But there's another way in which the Lord's name is taken in vain. And that is through worship that diminishes his glory. Through worship that diminishes his glory. If you go back into the Old Testament, particularly the book of Leviticus, you find the Lord gave instruction for how worship was to be carried on in the tabernacle with the people of God. And he ordained priests, the sons of Aaron, to lead worship, and he gave prescriptions as to what was to be a part of that worship. And then in Leviticus 22, verses 1 to 3, we read this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Aaron and his sons to be careful with the holy things of the sons of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so as not to profane my holy name. I am the Lord. That person shall be cut off. God says, Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, to tell the priests to be careful with the holy things. If you're not careful with the holy things, you will be guilty of profaning my name, and that person should be destroyed. You might think it was a wonderful opportunity to be a priest, but it was deadly serious. Deviation from prescriptions that God had laid out would bring about death. We see that in the Old Testament. Priests were literally executed by God on the spot for offering strange fire. Some profane deviation from the prescribed forms of worship. Warn Aaron and his sons who will lead the worship to follow the prescriptions laid out in Scripture to be careful with the holy things so as not to profane my holy name. In the first chapter of Isaiah, this is also the issue. You can turn to it, and I'll read you a few verses there. First chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah is writing the revelation of God to, as he says in verse 4, a sinful nation, a people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly, who have abandoned the Lord, despised the Holy One of Israel, and turned away from Him. That is the people that Israel had become, and to whom Isaiah wrote. But look what he writes, starting down in verse 11. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. 
When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me, new moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Now the Lord says, I hate all these things that you're doing, which he himself prescribed. These are things God ordered for the people of Israel to do, offerings and sacrifices and festivals and new moons and Sabbath. And God says, I hate it all. I hate it all. Verse 16, he says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. In this, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are like red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is a terrifying judgment. On worship, false-hearted worship. To the priests, God says, be careful how you handle worship. could cost you your life. And it did for some. Isaiah says, God's not interested in your sacrifices or your festivals because your hearts are not washed. The carnal handling of worship, people whose hearts are not washed, worshiping God, is unacceptable worship. In Amos chapter 5, God says through the prophet, stop your songs, your hearts aren't right. Stop your songs, I don't want to hear them, your hearts aren't right. He could worship the Lord in vain by deviating from his prescribed forms of worship. You can worship the Lord in vain by having an unclean heart, a sinful heart, as it was said of Israel, with their lips they honor me, but their heart is far from me. What does in vain mean when we read, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. What does in vain mean? In vain has the notion of, of, of nothing. You could say it this way. It would be to cheapen God's holy name or to empty God's name of glory. Any form of worship, any form of worship that comes from an impure heart any form of worship that is connected to the kingdom of darkness, any form of worship that is self-centered, self-indulgent, frivolous, shallow, hypocritical, is taking the Lord's name in vain. It is emptying God of his glory. Don't empty his name of any glory. Don't think of him or speak of him 
or sing of him in any way that empties glory that belongs to his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. That's foundational. If you're going to fear the Lord, you have to know the Lord. And when you know the Lord, and you understand the glory of his name, you want to worship him in a way that does not empty that name of any glory that he is due. Worship is very serious. Worship is actually dangerous. Shouldn't be confused for man-centered entertainment. Shouldn't be confused for some kind of emotional experience. It certainly shouldn't be confused with some external mechanical ceremony. Anyone who robs God's glory, my glory, he said, I will not give to another. Anyone who diminishes or robs or empties God of any glory in any expression of worship has taken his name in vain, is not guiltless, has sinned a serious sin. In Psalm 24, it's good that we look at Psalm 24 as we kind of introduce our thoughts with regard to worship. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Now here's a statement regarding worship. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who can come to worship the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Worship can be a dangerous thing if you don't come with clean hands and a pure heart. Obviously, we're all aware in the contemporary church there's a frivolity and a superficiality in worship. And much, much so-called worship is really designed at the lowest possible level of comprehension. It's almost childish. You don't want to be rushing into the presence of the Lord unless you know whose presence you're in. When Isaiah found himself in the presence of the Lord, he said... I'm, a, I'm an unclean man of unclean lips. Woe is me. Why did you say that, Isaiah? Because I've seen the Lord. What is missing in contemporary worship is a vision of God. Until you have a full understanding of the nature of God and the glory of God and the greatness of God and the majesty of God, you really don't know whose presence you're rushing into. We understand from what the scripture says very clearly that we are all to bow to the Lord. We are under his sovereignty. We're reminded of that in some, a lot of Psalms, but I was thinking of Psalm 95, which we all ought to remember. Oh, come, let us Sing for joy to the Lord. That's right. That's, that's what we're called to do. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. 
Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And then this, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. When you come before the Lord, you bow down. Worship is bowing down before the Lord. Philippians 2, 9 and 10, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As believers, worship is a bowing experience. We come into the presence of the Lord and we're called to have a clean, pure heart, clean hands, which means both on the inward and the outward behavior We are walking in obedience to the Lord. We come to give honor and glory to Him. And in the process of that, we we do not think of Him as less than He is. We would never want to curse His name. We would never want to speak of His name and use it for the affirmation of a lie. Uh, We would never want to say the Lord has said when He hasn't said. And we never would want to diminish worship, emptying God of His glory. I guess in a sense you could say worship is just not serious enough because people aren't serious enough about the glory of God. Anyone who cheapens, empties, diminishes his name by shallow, superficial, loveless, empty, self-centered, indulgent expressions takes his name in vain. The Heidelberg Catechism, written back in 1563, said... We must see the holy name of God only with fear and reverence so that we may rightly confess him, call on him, and praise him in all our words and works. We must see the holy name of God only with fear and reverence. We don't live in a reverent culture, do we? It's far too casual, and it treats God in far too casual a manner as well. We take our Lord's name in vain and we think less of him than is true of him. When we know less of him than we ought to know, we are then bound to give him less praise than he deserves. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom starts when you fear the Lord. And then immediately, Proverbs 9:10, the knowledge of the holy is understanding. If you want to fear the Lord, you have to know him. So worship should reflect the will of God and the glory of God. In Matthew chapter 15, if you want to look at it for a moment, Matthew chapter 15, our Lord is talking with Pharisees and scribes. And down in verse 7, He says to them, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. And then he quotes in verse 8 from Isaiah 29, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
so, verse 9, in vain do they worship me. It's empty worship when your heart is far from where your lips are. It's easy to sing the songs. It's easy to get caught up in the beauty of the music. But if your heart isn't right, you are taking the name of the Lord in vain. I don't know that you think about that. Probably most people would say, well, if I'm in church, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I should do. You can be in church and be in spiritual danger. You can be in worship and be in spiritual danger because your lips are offering honor to God, but your heart isn't. It's always the heart. David says in Psalm 86, Unite my heart. What does he mean by that? Give me one great love. Give me one great affection. What would that be? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Give me one great love. Unite my heart. Let me not be divided. Let me not be distracted. Now I want you to look at one other passage, and that's in Romans chapter 12, and it's a familiar one. And this, by the way, is just kind of an introduction to what we'll look at next Lord's Day when we look more closely at John 4. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, very familiar. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, based upon all the mercies of God, which have been outlined in the previous 11 chapters, all the wonders and glories of salvation, based upon all of that, Here's what you're to do. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So what is worship? It is presenting myself as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. It's it's all about self-sacrifice. And how how, how is that done? Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. There are a lot of people who want to talk about worship and design it so that it's conformed to the world. They want unconverted, unregenerate people to join in worship. That that is folly. The only way that we can offer spiritual service of worship to God that is acceptable is having presented our bodies a living and holy sacrifice, and not just our bodies, but verse 2, having been transformed by the renewing of our minds. Again, it's the whole person conformed, not to the world, but the end of verse 2, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So worship is, first of all, presenting myself, body and mind, to God as a spiritual act of worship, and then that worship follows what God wills. What does God will in worship? Does, does God have a will for how we worship? Clearly, it's laid out in Scripture. We're told when we gather together in fellowship... We are to hear the word read, 
So like then Paul says to Timothy, read the scripture. Then explain the scripture. That's the dominating reality. Speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Offering prayer. That's another part. Our Lord said, until I come, gather around my table, have communion. Those are all expressions of worship. The Lord has given us exactly the details for how we are to worship. We are to come together, our hearts having been cleansed, come together in a repentant attitude, come together ready to fellowship with the saints, ready to lift our voice in praise and song and thanksgiving. We are to come together collectively to pray, and we are to hear the word of God taught. The reformers were so convinced of the prescription that God had laid down that they developed what was called the regulative principle. The regulative principle simply meant that we are to worship in a way regulated by divine revelation. Now, we can't create a service because we think unbelievers would like it or even believers would like it, but we regulate the service based on what God has revealed. Here's from John Calvin, a very short but very clear comment. God disapproves of all modes of worship not explicitly sanctioned in Scripture. God disapproves of all modes of worship not explicitly sanctioned in Scripture. That wasn't his opinion. That was the result of his understanding of God. God had prescriptions for the worship in the Old Testament, warned the sons of Aaron, do not deviate from these prescriptions. God has designed the way he wants to be worshipped. And we can't offer spiritual sacrifices of worship according to the will of God unless our bodies are offered as a living sacrifice and our minds have been renewed by the word of God. So I will say this, the most important contributor to effective worship is the scripture. Because if we're supposed to worship according to the will of God, we have to go to the scripture to find out what the will of God is, prove that, and that's essentially the definition of how we worship. Which then leads me to say, expository preaching is the key to effective worship. To God being honored, to God's will being done. I've I've been asked through the years, not so much anymore, but in the early years, how how can your congregation worship when you preach so long? And in my mind I'm saying, how can your congregation worship when you preach so short? Because what informs worship is truth. It's the knowledge of the holy. The most important thing that happens in the, in the church with regard to worship is that the mind is being transformed, being renewed by the word of God. Acceptable worship is a product of understanding the word of God, which then means you know God and his will, and you can offer him acceptable worship. The history of the church, I mean, we know this, has always been marked by formal worship, external, superficial, ceremonial kinds of things that are empty and void of God and his glory and offered by loveless hearts. We, we all know that kind of religion, even forms of Christianity. 
But in our contemporary time, it's more likely that churches are infatuated not with formal religion, but with informal religion, which can be nothing more than external, emotional, superficial kinds of psychological experiences that also empty God of his glory and are not marked by knowledge of him or love for him. Everybody's got a worship band. Everybody's got a worship leader. Everybody has a worship team, a worship director. There's a huge emphasis on worship, but I fear a lot of it is taking the Lord's name in vain. Take worship. I'll give you a definition. What is worship? True worship is any and every expression of obedience, praise, honor, adoration, and gratitude offered to the true God by a regenerate soul who knows the truth about God and loves him. Did you get that? Should I try it again? Okay. True worship is any and every expression of obedience, praise, honor, adoration, and gratitude offered to the true God by a regenerate soul who knows the truth about God and loves him. And this is a way of life. This, this is not something we do only on Sunday. It's that we do it collectively on Sunday, but individually this is how we live our lives. Worshiping the Lord by obedience, praise, honor, adoration, and gratitude offered to the true God by a regenerate soul who knows the truth about God and who loves Him. We live in praise. We live in worship. We are true worshipers. We are the true worshipers the Father sought and found. We are those, Paul says to the Philippians, who worship God in the spirit and have no confidence in the flesh. We are worshipers. If you're a Christian, you're a worshiper. You've been literally saved to worship. If you question that, then take a glimpse at heaven. Go to the book of Revelation. Look at chapter 4, 5, 11, 14, 15, 19, 22, and you're going to have a glimpse of heaven and everybody is doing one thing. Worship. Worship. Psalm 45 my heart is overflowing. My heart is bubbling over. That's worship. And that's all the time. You are a true worshiper with a heart that is overflowing with worship. In the New Testament, we see so many doxologies, don't we? Where Paul stops and bursts into praise, like in the end of Romans chapter 11. Since we're in chapter 12, you might just look back at that. Paul has gone through the glories of salvation, and then he says in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Such magnificent doxologies are throughout the writings of the Apostle Paul as he bursts into praise. We need to remind the church that music is not worship. Music is just poetry with a tune, a melody. 
It is not worship. Worship is what the heart does. Music is just one vehicle. Prayer is worship. Ministry is worship. It's an act of service. It's a sacrifice of praise. Thankfulness, the fruit of your lips, thanks unto God, is worship. Everything you do in your life should be an act of worship to the Lord. And when we come together collectively, all of us as individual worshipers have this incredible joy of riding the wave of our corporate gratitude and love to God in the high, glorious expression of collective praise. The people who do the music aren't the worship leaders. The worship leader is the person who teaches the scripture. Because that's where worship is born. Worship is stimulated not by music, but by understanding. By the reading of the scripture, the preaching of the scripture. But aren't we blessed to have music? To let our hearts overflow with words that we couldn't come up with on our own? on the wings of melody that we couldn't write, the hymnal that you have there beside you with your Bible is a gift from God to us, a legacy of saints down through the years who help us express our worship in words that we otherwise wouldn't have. I've said this in the past, and you will remember it if you've been here your praise can only go as high as your understanding goes deep. People who have a superficial knowledge of God have only a superficial capacity to praise Him. The height of your praise is directly proportionate to the depth of your understanding. When you understand the deep things of God, when you understand the truths of His glorious nature and work, your praise is elevated based on that knowledge. It is directly proportionate. So if you want to worship the Lord in a greater way, it doesn't mean turn up the band. It's not turn up the music. If you want to worship the Lord in a greater way, enrich your understanding of Him from the glorious Word of God. Father, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity that we have had to gather this morning. It has been refreshing and exhilarating to be in the fellowship of the saints, to come before you again and bow in worship and sit at your feet to hear the truth of your scripture. We are so profoundly enriched may we be changed by this give us a fresh new understanding of the seriousness of worship yes even the danger of worship and then Lord we ask this that you would make us grateful for the forgiveness that you've given us for the times we take your name in vain we want to love you with all our heart soul mind and strength we fall short of that, and so we break that command. We never want to take your name in vain 
what we do in trivial ways and even in profound ways. But we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ paid the penalty on the cross for the sins of taking your name in vain, emptying it of all the glory of which it is worthy. We pray for the church of this generation and ours in particular that its knowledge of you from the word would increase profoundly. Be merciful to people who have leaders who don't teach them well enough that they can know the God they worship and so their worship is superficial and prone to take your name in vain. Lord, glorify yourself, elevate yourself. May we who come into your presence realize that we need to know you even more than we know you now, even better. And that that opportunity is in our hands through your word. Make us all that we can be as worshipers until we're with you in glory and all sin and weakness is gone. And we will worship you in pure righteousness. We thank you that we get a taste of that, a taste of heaven, as we gather on your day as we've done today. Bless every life here. Draw some who are not worshipers to become true worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website at gty.org. And for details about the Masters University, where John serves as chancellor, go to masters.edu. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. Writing this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the Beautiful, beautiful, you never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. You will never change, you will never change. 
other day How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence You are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance You sent Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man According to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan I changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us All that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust Shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the About my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies. Still, you pursue relentlessly. At times, I wonder how this can be. Surely, it's because of the cross. When Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of sin's great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust He died. So, even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever, this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was. Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change. You remain. to racism. This is Ken Ham inviting you to have an encounter with God's Word at The Ark Encounter. Last week we discovered there's only one race, the human race. That's what the Bible teaches and that's what's confirmed by biology. Well today in America it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Now this is a federal holiday to celebrate a man who fought to end segregation. Sadly there's still racist attitudes in America. But such thinking has absolutely no place in the church. We have God's word which tells us all people are one race, made in God's image and loved by him. The Bible also teaches the gospel is for every people, language and tribe. Anyone who believes in Christ is adopted into God's family and given eternal life. Yes, the gospel, the answer to racism. Discover more about a biblical response to racism when you visit our faith-affirming website at AnswersRadio.com. You'll find encouraging answers at AnswersRadio.com.
Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest group of Christ. Put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crafting our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to snatch hats from the furnace. Through Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed that was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior. The great I am became a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts, he's he posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority. So we boast in the most exalted King Christ the Priest. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer. No God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time in the scripture, what you get is a prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night and his fright in the might in the dominant mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the loss and he found, though. He was tamed in floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a shirt hold on him. Fight for the rope, but doping in. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the N. That's what we hoping in. On his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hellbound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born, I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout, I was bought with a price. We got a hope that won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer His purposes are permanent and perfectly proportionate Everything that orbits around His glory subordinate He is the most excellent one, intrinsic, infinite son Preeminent the name, par excellence, prenom, phenomenon He's beyond phenomenon, you see The fiber of cosmology, the abba of astronomy He's potter, we are pottery It's shocking Jesus died for me The Father, He adopted me and constantly provides for me Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see His odyssey From sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrection Bodily apocalyptic prophecy He's stopping all the mockery And scholarly snobbery That don't acknowledge him properly You ought to be on bended knee Before the preeminent It's awfully arrogant To reject him to your detriment Study the development From Old and New Testament You'll find a theme that's prevalent From age to age it's relevant Crisis on its center stage Forget religious sentiments That center on man But something less is what you're settling He is the most excellent Exercising benevolence And blessing a remnant With the benefits of his inheritance yeah. Listen to sinners that separated and segregated that severed the relations between man and his maker and placed Christ on his costly cross and compensated his life, death, and resurrection emancipated and gave us freedom from it all, freedom from the effects of the fall, freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and from the law. So the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God. <laughs>
Across America, many fetal heartbeat bills have passed recently. Now, these bills ban abortion after a fetal heartbeat is detected, usually around six weeks in the womb. But a heartbeat really isn't the issue. The baby is alive, a unique person, made in God's image, long before a heartbeat can be heard. You see, in the moment the egg from the mother and the sperm from the father come together, you're the unique human being. That particular combination of information has never been seen before. No new genetic information is ever added. Everything that makes you, you, is present in that very moment. We need to protect life from the moment of fertilization. And abortion is murder. Discover more about the sanctity of human life when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and find answers to many other questions when you go to AnswersRadio.com. All I want to do is praise your name From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same You are my God and all I want to do is praise your name Eternity. 
standing up for life. This is Ken Ham inviting your family to visit the Ark Encounter south of Cincinnati. Today is National Sanctity of Human Life Day here in the United States and tens of thousands of Americans will protest abortion as they stand up for those with no voice, the unborn. Now as Christians, our worldview comes from God's word and it teaches that human life is sacred, we're made in God's image and our lives have unique value and worth. Sadly, the secular world has drifted far from this view. In the secular worldview, we're just animals. So what's wrong with killing unborn children or the elderly, those with disabilities or those with terminal illness? We should boldly stand against anything that devalues human life. Each life is made in the very image of the Creator. Plan your visit to the full-size Noah's Ark with three decks of exhibits, a zoo, and so much more at AnswersRadio.com. And find answers to your questions at AnswersRadio.com.
are embryos people? This is Ken Ham, publisher of the award-winning magazine for the family called Answers. Many people now use various fertility procedures to have a baby. And sadly, many of the embryos that are created are either destroyed or left in storage for years. But now, many Christians are adopting those embryos and it saves lives. For last year, a leading newspaper ran an article about how embryo adoption gives too much personhood to embryos. They think that people adopting these babies shows the embryos are human and they say that's a problem. It's incredible. As Christians, we should stand against the destruction of embryos. This kills a unique human life made in the image of God, and that's murder. There's much more to discover about the sanctity of human life when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. Get equipped to stand for life when you go to AnswersRadio.com. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love.
Sweet Song of Salvation by Go Fish. And let's see, I'm going to play something by Shyland. This is Starling Mystery. But it's Go Fish, you want to check them out? Go Fish Guys. Dot com, G O F I S G O I S dot C O, GoFishGuy dot com, and Shannon Lampmode dot com, L A M P M O D E dot com. That is his record label. So check him out. Thanks. This is Shannon Starting Mystery featuring Quentin. Broke it up and why? Whoa, oh, 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 oh,
all we got for the show. Going to go out with Nancy and friends of VIWA. Join me next time on Trippy Radio, 2 p.m., 4 p.m. Pacific Time, Sundays. Bye for now.